Welcome to the Devoted City Church podcast. Our mission is to help people find, trust, and follow Jesus. To learn more about our church, visit devotedcity.com. In today's episode, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Donnie Williams, or a member of our teaching team. So we're in this uh, second week of a series called What Jesus Taught. We're focusing on what Jesus taught through the Sermon on the Mount. That's in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Uh, If you want to read that, it'll take you about 12 to 15 minutes, so you can get through it pretty fast. Uh, Some of the teaching that reveals the heart of Jesus is recorded in those three chapters. And in preparing for this message, because a little bit of this message has to do with happiness, uh, would anybody like to be more happy? Yes, you don't have to raise your hand. We all would. Nobody's like, no, I think I need more sadness in my life. I think we would all say, no, happiness is the way I want to go. So I got on Amazon and I thought, how many books are there about happiness? There's over 300,000 books on how to find happiness. And depending on the author, uh, you don't know what they're going to say, but here's some of the things I found. That a high income can make you happy what it says. Another one says a low income is what makes you happy because you are released from all the trappings of materialism and it's a low income. A college degree, you get your college degree, you will find happiness. Also, you can find that being free from feeling like you need a college degree can also make you happy. Uh, Getting married. If you could just get married, find that partner to go through life with and have kids with and and build a a family and build a life with and spend time with. If you could get to that, you'd be happy. Another book says being single is the key to happiness. (laughs) There's even one that says if, if you're vegan, you'll find happiness faster because you're vegan. Okay. Another one that says, hey, being vegan or vegetarian or all that disciplined eating, it's only going to add a few months to your life anyway, so live it up. <laughs> I'm not recommending these. I'm just telling you what they said. Uh, how about living the RV life? That's a way to happiness. I've rented an RV, so I'm sorry. You're, different. You're a different breed if you like the RV life because <laughs> I, I will comment on that one. I did not enjoy that. But Staying put and building a big house, that's where happiness is. Or one author said, if you have a bunch of kids and you multiply throughout the generations, then that will bring happiness. Another author says, don't have kids. If you wanna be happy, don't do it. Forgiving others, that'll make you happy. If you can forgive people for the hurts they caused you. And then another author would say, no, when you get revenge, nothing feels as good. It's when you can get that. Here's the thing about happiness. When you look through, if I'd looked through all 300,000 plus titles, I could have come up with probably 300,000 more examples of what, that conflict with each other. Here's why happiness conflicts, depending on the author you read, depending on you, your friends. It's because in our world, happiness is a moving target. It's never in the same place. This might make you happy one day, but then another day, something else might make you happy. Well, Jesus is going to talk to us about what happiness really is in this first section from the Sermon on the Mount. And here's the question I want you to ask yourself. If I could get happy and stay happy, would I take advantage of that opportunity? So if you could get happy and stay happy, would you take advantage of that opportunity? Because that is an opportunity Jesus is about to give his hearers. If you remember from last week, this is the first time that Jesus sat down and did extended teaching. And he did so after he had been traveling the area around the Sea of Galilee, healing people, 
teaching people. And so larger and larger, larger crowds started following Jesus and listening to him. And then this happened. In Matthew 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, now what he's getting ready to say is what might be titled in your Bible or on the app that you're using, the Beatitudes. Who's heard of the Beatitudes? Well, Jesus didn't uh, say, hey, everybody listen up. I'm getting ready to give the Beatitudes. This is gonna be a big hit throughout all the ages. So I want you to sit down and I want you to listen. That's not the way it happened. It was called the Beatitudes later by either translators or commentators, uh, scholars. Uh, Beatitudes simply means this, supreme blessing. Because Jesus is gonna, get, gonna talk about what it means to live a blessed life. And the first word out of Jesus's mouth was blessed, which could also be translated and is translated in many modern translations, happy. But it's not the kind of happy that all those authors talk about. It's not the kind of happy that's based on the circumstances around you. It's based on something deep. It's based on what's going on inside of you. See, if we base our happiness on what's going on around us, and you, if you've lived for more than like, I don't know, 10 years, everybody in this room would know this. You can't base your happiness on what's going on around you or you're not gonna stay happy very long. You, you will find a reason, maybe even before you get out of the parking lot, I hope not, uh, to not be happy. There will be a reason today to not be happy. So if the happiness is based on circumstances, we'll never achieve it. We'll chase it our whole life. We'll keep going after it, but never getting it. And you will die one day. This is encouraging, isn't it? You will die one day, never having achieved happiness if you're just looking to your circumstances to make you happy. But that's not the kind of happiness that Jesus is getting ready to talk about. See, in the first century, as he sat down to teach these first century Jews in this largely Jewish culture, their perception of God, uh, it influenced the way they viewed the world. And so they had a way of looking at God through, the, through a lens that they may have been taught growing up, that religious leaders taught them growing up, but it was also influenced by the world and some false religions. And so Jesus comes along, and he's got this crowd of people and he starts to teach them. And what he's doing, he's taking what they know and he's turning it upside down. So a lot of times throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, hey, you've heard this? <laughs> That's not right. This is what the truth is. And so he doesn't use that phrase in the Beatitudes, but what he's saying is this is what it takes to make you happy and it's very different from what the world says will make you happy. And so he starts out, Matthew chapter five, beginning of verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. So in those verses, Jesus speaks about conditions that we can have that he believes will allow us to be happy or blessed. So the world at that time and now sees that very differently. You wanna be blessed, you better go out and get it. You better find it, you better earn it, you better be strong and confident. And when you do that, then you'll be blessed. 
And in their world, religious people tended to look down, especially first century Judaism, they tended to look down on people around them like they were better than them. And if you've ever been a part of a religious group or a church that they thought they had it all right and they looked down on everybody else, there wouldn't have been very many people there finding happiness. And that's the context in which Jesus delivers these words. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, what does that mean? Well, it was a theme that went throughout Jesus's ministry. And in Luke chapter 18, he gives a great example of what it means to be poor in spirit. He tells this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. So here is a guy who would have read his Bible, would have known God's word, and he goes before God to pray, and all he can do is say why he's better than other people. And then for some reason, I guess for 2,000 years, tax collectors have not been most people's favorite person. And so he just looks around, he sees a tax collector and says, I'm thankful I'm not like him. Who would want to be like him? God, I'm so thankful I'm not like him. So he was finding his worth by comparing himself to somebody else. You can never win when you compare yourself to somebody else. You will either think too much of yourself or you will think too poorly of yourself. So if you're just scrolling through, comparing yourself to someone else's life, you're either gonna go, I'm way better off than that, or I could never achieve that. So how can you win? You can win by being poor in spirit before God. So this, this Pharisee, this religious leader, felt better because he brought up other people. So when we just had uh, two kids at home, uh, when they were really little, like, like four and six, uh, when uh, the four-year-old at the time, um, if, if, like, if she didn't brush her teeth, and I said, did you brush your teeth? And, and the, the, it was never like yes or no. Uh, sometimes it was yes, but if she knew she was caught and she knew she was in trouble, it would always be, yeah, but look at what my sister does. And she would just list all the things she knew that her sister did that she thought we wouldn't like. Instead of saying, yes, Father, I did that. I'm sorry. Could you ever find it in your heart to forgive me? It was, yeah, but, but look at what she did. Look at what she said. Look, what, look at that. And I was thinking, you're four. How do you remember all of that stuff? You will never find blessedness or happiness by comparing yourself to other people. So this Pharisee was comparing himself to this tax collector who would not have been a very nice person. A tax collector's job was to go to his own people and collect taxes on behalf of Rome against his very own people. No wonder he wasn't liked. But Jesus continued with the story of what it means to be poor in spirit. Because the tax collector took a different approach to his prayer. He said, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's poor in spirit. That's saying, God, you owe me nothing. I, I'm not worthy of your love or your grace, your mercy. I need it. 
I bring nothing to you and I'm asking you for it. So what does Jesus believe about those two types of prayers? The one that believes he's better than everybody else and the one that knows he's not and doesn't even feel worthy to approach the throne of God. Jesus says, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, the world says you need to look out for yourself and you believe in yourself and you never let your weakness show. And Jesus said, it's the humble, it's the self-aware, poor in spirit people that will receive the kingdom of God. He says, kingdom of heaven. Those two phrases are used interchangeably in the New Testament. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Means the same thing. So to the people listening that day, they heard a way to receive the kingdom of God in your life. Now that would have been a whole new way of thinking for them because they were waiting on the Messiah to come so they could be in charge. They thought the Messiah was gonna come and be a military leader. And now he was gonna put them above the evil Romans who were oppressive towards them, and now they could make sure the Romans had to pay. That's what they believed. They thought, God's gonna come through Jesus, through the Messiah, Messiah's gonna set up a kingdom, and we will be in charge, and you just wait, Rome, you're gonna pay on that day when we're in charge. That's what they thought. But that's not the way Jesus is talking about kingdom. Do you know how many revolts against the Roman government Jesus led that are described in scripture? Zero. Do you know how many long, long messages he had just ripping the Roman government apart? None. Not one. He did lead a revolt, though. Jesus was a revolutionary. So if you see Jesus described as a revolutionary, he wasn't a revolutionary for social change. He, he was on a revolt against the sin in the hearts of people. That's where he was a rebel. That's where he was a revolutionary to say, I want to get the sin out of the hearts of people and he came to defeat that. So the kingdom of God is not a physical kingdom that gets to show it and give it to whoever uh, is against God. The kingdom of God is simply this. It's the rule and reign in the hearts of people. So when Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, it's God, your rule and your reign in the hearts of people. Who allows God to rule and reign in their hearts? People who are poor in spirit. They're blessed by God reigning in their hearts. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So mourn means exactly what you think it would. You're, you're sorry, you're, you've, you've got this sense of grief. It could be over something physical. Uh, it could be over sin, which is what I think Jesus is more talking about here. And that would have been very different because the world says, you don't have to be sorry. The world doesn't even know what sin is. It doesn't even know what you're supposed to feel sorry about. It doesn't even acknowledge it. It was the same way then. So those who mourn were the ones that felt bad for the sin they committed. So when you follow Christ, you are no longer ever to be defined as a sinner but you do sin. But defining a Christ follower, a person who has submitted their life to Christ as a sinner says, well, Jesus didn't make any difference in their life. 
People who submit their lives to Christ are no longer sinners. Yes, they sin, because we all do. We all do. But we're no longer defined as a sinner once we're declared righteous in the eyes of God. And the most dangerous place that a soul can be is to be in sin and not even feel bad about it. When the Apostle Paul was teaching this young evangelist named Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he tells Timothy that there are people who, uh, who will do evil things and teach evil things and encourage others to do so. And he goes on to say that, that their conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. So what he's saying is they don't mourn over their sin. They don't really have a conscience. They don't feel bad about the things they do that are far from God. But he says, those of you who mourn, those of you who realize when you're wrong and you're before God saying, have mercy on me, God says, you'll be comforted. You'll feel my comfort. And then he says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. The word meek is not really the best way to translate the word that comes from Greek. There's really not one English word. Meek is the closest, but in our culture, we tend to think meek as weak, right? He's just so meek. They're so meek and mild. But really the word uh, for meek in the original language Greek meant power or strength under control. One commentator said, it's carrying a sword, but not using it. See, in God's kingdom, in the kingdom of God, the ones with the power are the ones that hold it under restraint. I mean, do you know how much power you, know how much power you have as a follower of Christ? You have within you the power to defeat arguments that you see on social media. You have it in you. You could, you could make somebody look like a complete idiot by applying the word of God to the way the world tries to think. But a meek person wouldn't do that because you might know I've got the power to defeat you and argue with you in a way that makes you feel stupid. But I'm not gonna do that because that's not what a meek person does. So when he says inherit the earth, what he's saying is the meek are the ones that are gonna be in control. Not the ones that try to make and win every argument, but the ones who have a sword, but they don't use it. Even in that day, people were seeking power and wealth, just like now, was something they thought would bring happiness. And in these first four blessings that Jesus talks about, he's talking about something deeply spiritual because he ends up this, this last one by saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. In, in a few minutes, or maybe now, your stomach's going, Rrr. you're thinking about lunch, wondering where you're going to eat, wishing you'd eaten breakfast, but you didn't, so you're hungry right now. How long is he going to go? 10 more minutes. <laughs> Imagine, take, not the physical hunger, but take away the physical hunger and think about what is your level of hunger and thirst for God's word to be in your life? That's what Jesus promises us 
You're going to be blessed. You're going to be happy when you hunger and thirst for righteousness the same way you hunger and thirst for food and water. You know, if you, if you go uh, hire a health coach, if you are a health coach, one of the things that many health coaches will tell you is uh, when you start wanting to eat better, I've heard this. Nobody's ever told me this. They have told me this. Is uh, go, uh, like, wait till you're hungry before you eat. It, I, I mean, sometimes people go, and this health coach said, they will go three or four days without eating because they've never felt hunger. Jesus is saying on a spiritual level, are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Because when you do, you will be filled. So he's been telling us how to depend on God. These first four blessings that are internal, that are spiritual, this is how you depend on God. And then he moves over to what it means to live for God. Because he's telling them, hey, my teaching, it's about depending on God. And now here's how you live for God. Matthew 5, verse 7 and 9 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So that's three more ways to find happiness. You don't have to look through those 300,000 books. Here's three more ways. Be merciful, be pure in heart, and be a peacemaker. Now that's hard to do in a culture like they lived in where it was an eye for an eye. You hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you. Not a lot different today. Jesus comes along and says, hey, you're gonna be happy if you show mercy to others. Want more happiness in your life? Show mercy to other people. Why show mercy to other people? Why would you do that? Well, Jesus said, because you're gonna need it. You show mercy to others because you're gonna need mercy. And if you want it, I want mercy when I mess up. Does anybody else? We all want it. And Jesus said, well, here's how you get it. Your mercy to other, you show mercy to other people. So the next time a rude word is about to come out of my mouth, here's what I'll think. I'm not gonna say it because I'm gonna need what I'm about to give them. So I'm just gonna keep that inside. I'm not gonna win the argument. I'm not gonna say it because I'm gonna need the mercy that I'm choosing to give them right now. So we're all on both sides of it. We're giving mercy, but we also need to receive it. So do you want mercy from God? The answer is yes. Everybody should say yes, I absolutely do. Then give it to others. And then he says, so if you wanna be happy, give mercy, so you receive mercy. And I also want you to be pure in heart. So if you're pure in heart, you will be happy. What does pure in heart mean? It carried with it the idea of having a united heart rather than a divided heart. Don't have a heart that is divided when it comes to honesty and clarity. See, purity of heart meant an undivided heart. And it's so easy for us to get divided in our hearts. Jesus said, happiness awaits those of you who have a heart that's not divided. A single focused heart enjoys a greater connection with God a greater connection than, than those who have divided hearts. So he's like, I, I want you to have a pure heart because a pure heart sees other people's faults in a different way. A pure heart uh, understands that this is not heaven, that heaven is something later, that's perfection. A pure heart understands we live in a broken world, bad things are gonna happen. So have a pure heart. 
Because when you do, you'll see God. You ever meet someone who sees God in everything? I used to think it was funny when people were like, oh, thank you, God, for that parking spot. And I was like, well, that parking spot was there. It's like, I'm not sure God did that. But what a pure heart to say, thank you, God, for that, and what, however insignificant it might be. And he promises us, when you have a pure heart, you'll see God. Then he says, blessed are the peacemakers. So happy are the peacemakers. Now, peacemakers are not those that live in peace, but those who bring it about. So sometimes peace and making peace is really uncomfortable. It's actually, it can be confrontational. If you have two little kids and they're fighting and you have to go in and make peace, at least one of them's not gonna be happy. And maybe both, because you're coming in, you're a peacemaker. So peacemaking requires sometimes for us to be confrontational. I don't like confrontation. I do it when I have to, but I don't like it. And if you like confrontation, you're probably not a very nice person. Like if you're like, oh, I love confrontation. I just love making people squirm. I just enjoy that going in and just giving them words that hit them right between the eyes. If that's you, you probably don't have a lot of friends that like to hang out with you. It's never comfortable. It is necessary because we wanna make peace. And so my prayer that I said I'm praying for you this year that you not only experience the hope of Jesus, but you share the hope of Jesus with our city. Really boil that down. I'm asking that you become a peacemaker. A peacemaker between people who are far from God and you, those who know God. Because when you introduce somebody to Jesus, you have just become a peacemaker because they didn't have a relationship with him. They were hostile towards God, either knowingly or unknowingly, and then you bring them in a way where you invest in their life, you study God's word with them, you share the mission of Christ with them, and they follow Jesus, you're a peacemaker. Imagine if we had a church full of peacemakers. We could not build a building big enough, no matter how many seats it had in it, if you become a peacemaker. Now, after he talks about living for God, it gets a little bit harder. Now, this is, this is tough. These, these last couple of sentences uh, are quick to read, but it, it gets hard when he says, blessed or happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he went from living for God to be bold for God. That's tough. Because now it's be bold for God in an environment that sometimes in the big C church can be come to church so you can get some stuff from God. Drop some money in the basket so you can get some stuff from God. You want this? You come and do this and you'll get some stuff from God. You pray hard enough, you have enough faith and you're gonna get all this stuff from God. And then Jesus says, blessed are you who are persecuted. I've never heard one of those teachers read that and accurately describe what it means. So what does it mean to be bold for God? Because Jesus said, when... He didn't say, hey, if you happen to be persecuted, if it should come your way, not gonna be a lot, but if, you sh if it should, then, you know, be bold. No, he just assumes it's gonna happen. 
And he goes further than that and said, it's going to be a blessing when it does happen. And this is where I get concerned about the church of God at large. Can we be bold if there are consequences to being bold? And I don't mean getting kicked off social media. I don't mean losing a friend. Could we be bold for God if there were serious physical consequences to being bold for God? I don't know. Because we're in an era where Christians look just like everybody else. And the church increasingly, it seems, reflects as much of the world's philosophy as it does God's. Could we be bold if real persecution came our way? And here's what I mean by real persecution. You can't gather. You speak the word of God and you're going to jail. You gather and you're going to jail. Somebody's gonna come in, you get a warning. If not, you get years in prison. Like that kind of persecution or you're gonna be wiped from the face of the earth. That's why we are doubling down on studying God's word together. Using his word to discern what's going on around us in the world today. That's where you can find hope and that's where you can find peace and that's where you can find the blessed life that Jesus is talking about. That's where you can find real biblically defined happiness is learning about the character of God through the words of God and applying them to the world around you. There's almost 200 women signed up for the women's Bible study that starts tomorrow night. There, yeah, we're approaching, approaching like, I think 80 men signed up for the men's Bible study. If you're not in one of those, yeah, give the guys a little hope too. If you're not in one of those, get in one of those. If those don't work, we have another 10-week discipleship group called Rooted that you can get in. You can find out all about that out at uh, the Next Steps table. If you're watching online, you can just find us in the chat and you can find out more about how to take part in those in-person groups. So here's the question. Ask yourself, if I had to be bold, would I? So what does it look like to be bold? Being offensive? No, you don't go looking for trouble. That's not smart. But it's speaking the truth in love, which is never easy, but it's always noticed by God, always. Could you get insulted? Yes. Could you get assaulted? Yes. But God says you'll be blessed. Bold people always experience some level of persecution no matter what. They just do. People who are bold for God are going to experience some level of persecution and misunderstanding. It's just gonna happen. We had a class here one time years ago. It was called My Mission. It was how to live on mission in the world around you. And one of the nights was about uh, uh, sharing your faith. And so I asked the question, what are some of the fears you have uh, to share your faith? What keeps you from doing it? And people would raise their hand and say, well, I might lose a friend. All right, that's true, you might. I might not know what to say. What if they have a question I don't know how to answer? True, that's a, that's a legitimate fear. What if I do it at work and I lose my job? V very good fear. You might actually lose your job for sharing your faith. That's true. And, and there was a lot of comments like that. There's a lady that sat right back in the middle here and she was from Iran, spoke with a heavy accent. And when everybody was done, I'm sure she was like, are y'all done now? She raised her hand and I said, yes. She said, going to jail. That's one has been one of my fears about sharing my faith in her home country. And I didn't say it, but I wanted to say, the rest of y'all feel guilty now? 
You feel, that, that's really persecution. God says people like that are blessed. So people that were listening to Jesus that day needed to hear the same thing we need to hear. Jesus won't make you rich. Jesus won't make you powerful. He won't make you comfortable. He's not gonna make you famous. He's not gonna make everybody nice to you. He won't make all your troubles go away. He won't make your family perfect. He won't make you healthy, but here's what he'll do. He'll make you blessed or happy. One of my mentors that I still stay connected with, he's 80 plus now, and he was telling me that. He knew that someday he was gonna go to the doctor, like many of us will, and the doctor's gonna say, it's not good, you've only got so many months to live. And he said, you know what I'm gonna say when the doctor says that? I'm gonna say, thanks doc, now I know when the end is and I'm ready, are you ready? He's like, I'm gonna spend my last months letting other people know about Jesus. I, I went to the hospital to see a guy that I knew well and he, he had to have his foot removed. He was very near death. He knew he was dying in the next weeks. And I walked in the room. I, you know, you never know like what to say and it's not really easy. And I said, hey, how you doing? And he said, well, I'm a foot shorter as of yesterday because they amputated his foot. And I was like, okay, that's, we're gonna do that. That's good. That, I'm, un, I'm very, my uncomfortableness is fading. And I said, really, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, could you read the Psalms to me? I'd like to hear those. So he, he knew where he was going. Then I've been in rooms with people who were materially blessed beyond imagination, but they died with their jaw clenched, begging for something to happen and cursing till their last breath because they didn't have the hope and the happiness that Jesus is talking about. So here's my challenge for you this week. Just go read the Beatitudes. Just read through them, own them, apply them to your life and you will learn how to have lasting blessing and happiness. And there's a prayer on the screen. I want you to take a picture of it or memorize it. We'll put it on social media this week. Uh, pray this prayer this week, but just print that out, write it somewhere. God help me to depend on you, live for you, and give me opportunities to be bold for you. Let's read that together. God help me to depend on you, live for you, and give me opportunities to be bold for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your words that Comfort us, that convict us, and thank you for making it so clear what it looks like to live a blessed life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Devoted City Church podcast. If you liked today's episode, rate us and subscribe so others can be encouraged too. We invite you to join us on a weekend at one of our locations or online at devotedcity.com.